When you've been a Christian for some time or when you've been a churchgoer for some time, the memories of songs that you've sung over the years just go through your mind. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. How great thou art. Our God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. When I survey the wondrous cross, purer in heart, O God, help me to be. Heaven will surely be worth it all. Do you remember most of those songs? Raise your hand if you do. How about standing on the promises? And this is the promise of God to us, eternal life. 1 John 2 and verse 25 like Abraham of old, we need to be fully convinced that God is able to perform all that he has promised. Romans 4 and verse 21. It's always good to preach on the promises of God. But especially after a week and a year like many have had. To stand on the promises of God. Think about that. Standing on there is stability, there is traction, there is level ground and a firm foundation standing on the promises. That expression promise has to do with a binding commitment to do what one says. A promise is a binding commitment to do what one says. With God, he always has the ability to do what he says. And with God, he always has the reliability to do what he says. He is worthy of our worship and praise. What an amazing God we have. The future is always as bright as the promises of God. Mark it. Remember it. Never lose sight of it any more than you have forgotten some of those songs like Jesus Loves Me that we've sung over the years. The future is always as bright as the promises of God. God is always able to keep His promises. We haven't always been able to do that. Sometimes we have lacked the ability to keep our promises. Sometimes we've lacked the reliability in keeping our promises. But God neither lacks the ability nor the reliability when it comes to performing His promises. Remember this as well. God does not promise an uneventful journey. He promises a safe arrival. God does not promise an uneventful journey. 
Man born of woman is but a few days and full of trouble. Job 14.1 When you encounter multiple temptations, difficulties, it's not a matter of if they'll come, it's when they come into our lives. James 1 and verse 2. I'd like for us to look at standing on the promises of God because think of the source. Think of the origin. And what I'd like for us to do as we think about standing on the promises of God is to make four observations concerning this great biblical theme. Here's the first one. Our God is a promise-making God. Our God is a promise-making God. If you would, go to the book of Genesis, and let's look at three or four passages just from the first book of the Bible, this book of beginnings. Notice Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The scene has to do with Adam and Eve after they have violated the will of God, eaten from the forbidden tree, brought sin into the world. And in Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15, God speaks to the serpent, to the old devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed. He goes on to say in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, that one will come through the seed of woman who will crush the serpent's head though the serpent would bruise him fast forward to Galatians 4 and verse 4 in the fullness of time God sent forth his son You see, even in the aftermath of sin being brought into the world, God made a promise. A promise that something would be done about Satan and evil that we come to see more and more clearly in Scripture. Being Christ. Here's a passage many of us need to look at again. Genesis 8 and verse 22. Turn to Genesis 8 and verse 22. Because in Genesis 8, 22, the Word of God makes a promise. God makes a promise. He says, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be cold and heat. Amen. The same people that have complained this past week will complain four or five months from now when it's 105, won't we? There will be cold and heat. There will be summer and winter. There will be day and night. There are some things we can count on because God has so promised. He's spoken. Turn to Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. And here's one of those never again promises. 
In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 11, God says, Never again will I destroy the whole world by water. Of course, 2 Peter chapter 3 speaks of the destruction of the world by fire yet to come. But never again. Does that mean there won't be rain? Does it mean there won't be flooded areas? It means what God has promised. He will not flood the entire world again with a great flood. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verses 2 and 3. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, you have what we call the Abrahamic promise. And at the end of that particular statement of God to Abraham, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's making a promise to Abraham. Fast forward yet again to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29 that was. Now when we look at God being a promise-making God, Some of God's promises are unconditional. They stand and nothing will change them. I think of Matthew 24 and verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. That's a promise. It's something upon which we can base our entire lives Some promises are unconditional. Other promises are conditional. And by that I mean there is a command to be obeyed to enjoy the promised blessing. A command to be obeyed in order to enjoy the promised blessing. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. This is a very familiar conditional promise. It has to do with children. And it has to do with children obeying their parents in the Lord. For this is right. The Word of God goes on to say, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment of promise that it might be well with you and that you may live long upon the face of the earth. Here's a conditional promise. You want things to go well with you in life and you want to have a full and rich life? Honor your father and mother. Obey them in the Lord. This is right. Look, if you will, at Matthew 6.33. Many of the great promises of God are conditional by no means all, but many are. 
Some are unconditional. And we should stand on all the promises of God. But in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's the condition. The promised blessing. All these things shall be added to you, what you really need in life. You'll have more than you can say grace over. A conditional promise. Think again of Romans 8, 28. A conditional promise. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Two conditions. To those that love the Lord. Second condition. Those that are the called according to His purpose. This is not a blanket promise of God's provision for everyone. It is a special application of His providential care to those who love Him and belong to Him. Isn't that great? Look at Mark 16, 16, because even in that passage you have a promise and you have conditions. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not, he that believes not, shall be condemned. There is conditions. There are conditions in this passage. Belief and baptism. Both conditions must be met in order to enjoy the promised blessing, salvation. A failure to meet the first condition, belief, he that believes not, shall be condemned, will not receive the promised blessing of salvation. How crucial, how necessary it is, I think, for us to look more at the great promises of God in Scripture and think about the promises of God like they are faith's checkbook. Now, I realize that not everybody knows what a checkbook is anymore. Therefore, since those that are over 40 understood the faith's checkbook illustration. Let me give you this. Imagine being told that you could go into a bank and get all of the bars of gold that you wanted to get. You are going to be allowed to go into a bank and to get all of the gold bars you possibly could. And you came out of the bank with two pennies. People would think you were nuts. Understandably, don't you agree? If you could get all of the gold that you really wanted and all you got was two cents worth. It's amazing to me how many people want about two cents worth of God and they had so much by way of promised blessings there in the account of God 
just waiting for them to come to it. Our God is a promise-making God. Secondly, our God will not and cannot break His promises. Our God will not and cannot break His promises. Think of this, if you will, as four pillars, four pillars of God's promises. God will not, He cannot break His promises. The four pillars of God's promises that I'm referring to are God's power and strength. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sometimes we doubt the promises of God, and really what we're doubting are, is God's power to do what He says. But Genesis 18 and verse 14, among other Old Testament passages, Ask that question, and the answer is, well, of course, God is all-powerful. Nothing's too hard for Him to do. The second pillar concerning God's promises is His knowledge. God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing. You know all things. Acts 1, verse 24 and 25. Sometimes we doubt God's promises because really there is, some, in some sense, a doubt of His power and in another sense there may be a doubt of His knowledge. Because sometimes maybe we haven't kept our promise because we lack the ability and power to do it and we lack the knowledge to comply with what we initially said. God always has the ability and God always has the reliability. Let the church say amen to a God that's like that. Third, a third pillar of God's promises is that He is always good. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is always good. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Romans 11 and verse 22. How we need to stand on the promises of God because they are backed by His power and His knowledge and His goodness. But sometimes we doubt the veracity, the truthfulness of God's promises. And we wonder if He's good. Do not allow Satan to make God small. Don't allow the devil to make the Lord small. Fourth, a fourth pillar of God's promises and why I know, and you should too, that every promise that He makes, He will keep. And if there's a problem in it, it's because the promise was conditional and we failed to properly respond to Him. That fourth pillar is... He is a God 
of righteousness and integrity. If people fail to keep their promises, if you fail to keep your promises to others, it's going to be a matter of power and strength and knowledge. It's going to be a matter sometimes of goodness. And sometimes it's going to be a problem of character and integrity and righteousness. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18, 25. Now open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. And notice Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. In Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, the writer speaks of the fact that God made a promise to Abraham and he could swear by none greater, so he swore by himself. Now stop and think about that. God, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, and all-righteous, and a God of character and integrity, swore by himself. That will help us when we think about our promises, our stated commitments to others, binding commitments to do what we've said. We gave... Our word. We gave our word. And the one who gave the word is the one who gives his word. And we who wear the name of the word who belong to Christ when we give our word, we should make every effort to fulfill our commitment. God will not and cannot break his word. And in this book, it says it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. That he gives us a better covenant with better promises, Hebrews 8 and verse 6. The promise of an eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9.15 And the book of Hebrews in one sentence is this. What we have in Jesus is better because we have a better sacrifice, a better priesthood, and a better law or covenant. Observation number three. God's promises are grounded in Christ and are of infinite value. Only going to look at two passages with you. God's promises are grounded in Christ and are of infinite value. First passage, 2 Peter 1.20. Turn there. It'll, be, it'll make you glad you came. 2 Peter 1, and, uh, 2 uh, Corinthians rather 1 and verse 20. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, hear the word of God. And all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. And in Him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. 
Notice first the number of the promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says all the promises. Notice the origin of the promises. All the promises of God. See that? Third, as we look at 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, notice the location of the promises. Where are all the promises of God to be located? In Him. In Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is in a battle because there are many in the church, it seems, at that time who are belittling Paul's ministry and belittling his apostleship. And like so many through the years, people have come along in 2 Corinthians that think that they are going to lead the people of God to a better way. And so when we look at the 13 chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul is under considerable pressure, and yet, what is he thinking about? Is he thinking about the pressure? He's thinking about the promises of God. You think that there's anything that would be advantageous for us to do along that line today? The promises of God. Continue looking at 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God... In Him are, yes. The promises are positive. They're overwhelmingly so. To be in Christ and to have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And then he says, all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. It is so. It's secure. What God has promised... In Jesus is so secure. Respond, stand on the promises of God. Second passage, Second Peter one verse four. Second Peter one verse four. In Second Peter one and verse four, the passage says God has granted to us. It's a beautiful word in the original language. It means He has. Given lavishly as a gracious act. He has given lavishly and graciously to us. And notice what he has given. Notice the passage. Second Peter 1 4 says he has given promises, plural, multiple. But that's not all the passage says. It says that these promises, lavishly, graciously given by our God, are exceedingly great. It is an expression that occurs but one time in all of the New Testament, but what a time for it to occur. It means greater than the greatest, exceedingly abundant and overflowing. 
we use the term mega, you know, great or a lot. This is the term megastos. It means exceedingly great. Exceedingly gracious and lavish. And then the text says, 2 Peter 1, 4, exceedingly great and precious promises. Some things are precious because of their cost. When we think about the cost of our salvation, a precious price was paid, amen? How about the value? Sometimes when we talk about something being precious, it means that it's valuable. It's valuable. Maybe we're talking about uh, gold or silver or emeralds, precious stones. I got things that I consider to be very, very precious to me that really are not worth much money or don't have great value to the world. I got pictures of my grandkids and I suspect if I were to put those pictures out in a, in a garage sale sometime, I wouldn't get much money for them. But you know what? You couldn't pay me enough for them. You understand? Last month, Cherie and I got new wedding bands. I guess we figured 38 years, we could probably do that. And you know, your hands kind of change some over time, don't they? <laughs> I've gone to places where I knew that there was water present, and I talked about all the, 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 the blessing of having water, and, and the people said, you know, we've lived here for 40 years, and we've watched a lot of people walk around that lake, and sometimes we've seen them take rings off their fingers and throw them into the pond. And you know what happens the pond dries up sometimes when it gets really dry in the summertime. And you know what guys do? They come out with their metal detectors. And what was tossed in a moment of disappointment or hurt, it doesn't mean a thing in the world to them except some money perhaps. The people that are out with the metal detectors. God's promises are grounded in Christ and are of infinite value. Number four, just a few moments here. God's promises are for you personally and for us collectively. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Isn't that a precious promise? John 14, verses 1 and 2. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Well, maybe you're an elder in the church. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 4. 
when the shepherd appears. A context about leadership and humble leadership that honors God. God will give a crown of glory. I suspect what God is saying is, here's my promise to men that serve as godly shepherds. All they need to know is I promise to bless godly shepherds. How about those of us who preach, Adam? My word shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I have. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. How about Christians everywhere? Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Revelation 2.10 It is impossible, I think, to figure out exactly how many promises are in the Word of God. It is a book full of promises. But I know this, the older I get, the more I want to enter into the great bank of God's promises and take full advantage of every one that I possibly can because I need God's help. Don't you? Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages... Let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing, standing on the promises of God. The lesson is yours and the invitation was given within the sermon. Think about these things and be blessed. Let us stand and sing.